Welcome to the new series, Sharing the Gospel and Not the Germs. Oh, some of you are awake, that's good. Uh, it, you know, it's really tough sometimes to get the hard facts. Uh, I remember my father and I were out fishing on Charlie Lake north of Fort St. John, and a thunderstorm came rolling in. And as the storm rolled in, Dad and I, we quickly, quickly put our fishing rods in and we made it as fast as we could to the boat launch and we're pulling our boat out and a guy just comes and he's backing his boat into the water as lightning and thunder are hitting the lake behind us. And I looked at the guy and I said, there's a thunderstorm. And he goes, the guy looks at me, straight face, and says, the safest place in a thunderstorm is in a boat on a lake. Now, if you know anything about thunderstorms, the thunderstorm, the lightning takes the closest path it can. So when you're on a lake and you're above the water and you're in a metal boat, which he was putting in the water, I just kind of went, I looked at him and thought, are you joking? And he wasn't. So I thought, well, well, I didn't hear that he died that day, so that was good. But I don't know where he heard that. Last night with the time chain, my wife and I were just getting to bed and and uh, I'm a little bit obsessive, surprisingly enough, and uh, I have a four clocks in my bedroom. I'm a little bit obsessive. I have one on my wrist, and uh, it, it's an Apple Watch, so it can buzz me and talk to me and everything else. I have one that projects to my roof, just in case I'm rolled over one way. I don't have to roll over to look at the clock that's beside my bed. And then we have a great big giant clock on the wall that doesn't get lit up at night, so... Uh, so we, we moved that clock to the right time last night, and I said, well, that's not going to help me because it's not lit up, and I won't know what time it was, but I said, I guess if I really get confused, and my wife said, well, don't, don't your, our cell phones and your watch just change time automatically? And I said, yes, they do, as long as you've set the setting so that it's connected to the cell tower time, which is connected to Geneva time. Now, there's a good solid thing. You know, it's going to happen. I wondered if I had set my, because every time you travel and stuff, you're messing with your settings. At least I am. So at 6 a.m., at least I thought it was 6 a.m., my alarm went off. And uh, I looked at the ceiling to the clock that I thought changed times automatically. And it was 6 a.m., so I turned my alarm off and went back to sleep. At what time it was actually, 7.30, my wife, who seldom usually just wakes up on her own, I usually get her up or she has an alarm, she said, Anthony, it's 7.30. I looked up at the ceiling and said, no, it isn't, it's 6.30. And so we turned on the light so we could see the clock that we actually knew we had changed, and sure enough, it was 7.30. Thank the Lord, I got quick really fast, and I did have a shower so I don't smell too bad, but it was like, you know, literally running between the raindrops, trying to get out of the, the, the raindrops. I was outside. It was a thunderstorm. I'm back in Florida. <laughs> you probably know where I'm going with this. Um, <laughs> I have been so frustrated at social media and honestly at some of our news that's going about. Uh, I am very frustrated with the stuff politicians say, uh, we mostly are governed out of fear and opinion, and it's driving me crazy. Uh, I don't know if it's driving you crazy. And, and so in this world, I, I just, I ask you the question, where do we get truth from? 
And if you haven't been reading your Bible lately, it says stuff like Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the Bible declares that when you learn the truth, the truth will set you free. And I want to argue with you today. Well, I don't actually. It's a one-sided argument. You're a captive audience. I want to, what's the other word? I'll say argue with you this morning. That the word of God is truth. My experience, even this week, is that when I read the truth, it sets me free. In fact, some of the staff and some of my friends, even this morning I had a conversation with a friend who couldn't wait to show me what he was reading in First Peter. Because he had been through some struggles this week, and as he read First Peter, it, it, just, it just lightened the way. It, it made it obvious what his response to his situation should be. I love the truth of God. I love the truth of God. But as we go through today's message, and we're going to be talking about reaching as an individual and as a church, as we go through the message today, I want you to know that if you are not experiencing the presence of Jesus, if you don't have a current testimony, then I want you to listen really, really careful. Years ago, I went to Ecuador, and we had to write up our testimonies, and there was three things. It's uh, church partnership evangelism. They tell you, write what you were like before you came to Christ, write when you became a Christian, and then write what is God doing in your life today. And so I say to you, what is God doing today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just need truth. And I am pretty sure that I have been guilty of spreading fear and half-truths. And uh, we know that when we have the foundation of the Bible, when we have that beautiful wisdom, we begin to experience truth and that, that truth, it, it, it reveals and uncovers lies we've believed. Uh, it reveals misdirection, wrong thinking. And as the truth penetrates into our being, uh, that truth frees us up. And so God, as we look at this subject of uh, should we be sharing what we have with others, <laughs> reveal the lies and get us to start experiencing you. And God, we want the truth and we want the truth to set us free. And we as a church want freedom. Freedom to love others into the kingdom. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So we as a church are going to explore, and you're going to see a thing come up on the screen there. Uh, we started off looking at Explore, that, and, and again, we have this vision purpose statement because uh, we so easily went, uh, I forget the name of the organization years ago that I was in a seminar with, and they studied a couple of hundred churches, and they discovered that churches, guess, our budgets, 99% is just spent on ourselves. Almost every church is guilty of that. Our programs within the church is just all about us. Uh, we have this proclivity to just become self-centered and, and it's about me. I, I want this or I want that. So, so we as a church have said we're going to uh, create environments where we can explore 
where people can explore their faith, like Alpha, and uh, we have a few other uh, uh, ministries that help people going through grief and divorce care. And, and we just want to have this place where, where people can start discovering and looking at the truth. And then we have the connect part. When, when people come to Jesus, I mean, we even have Pastor West. His title is Connections Pastor. And you know my conviction from the scripture that God has designed it that your spiritual growth, it happens in community. And if you're not in a life group, if you're not attending church on a regular basis, if you kind of drop off the face of the earth for six months or a year, I guarantee you, I, I gave a warning to a guy years ago about this. And I didn't see him for three years, and I saw him at a funeral. And he came up to me, and he remembered the warning, and he said, you were right. When I disconnected from the church, and he had all these reasons why he couldn't come to my church. But he said, when I disconnected from the church, I began to disconnect from God. I don't know why God's done it, but right at the Garden of Eden, we saw that. Adam had God. He was walking in the evenings with God. But God said to Adam, it isn't good for him to be alone. God has designed us to connect. And so we get serious. We have sections. We have lunches. We have life groups. We want to connect. And then we have the grow issue or the grow topic. And Caleb talked to us about that two Sundays ago. I am so grateful for the pastoral staff we have and how they can preach. Caleb did such an excellent job talking about growing, and he, he covered the whole topic that we grow best together and that God wants you to grow. He's not finished with you yet. And then we went to serve with Michael, and you may or may not know that uh, people explore the faith, they connect in the church, then they start to grow, they start to learn about Jesus. Very few, less than 20%, move to serving. And I've never tried to figure it out in this church, but if it's true, let's say there's five, 600 in this building right now sitting here looking at me, that means only 150 of you are doing any serving. And I, I don't know, maybe, I hope it's 100% that are serving. Very few move that. And then today we wanna just look at the whole idea of reaching that you know, the, the circle just keeps going on. We're gonna reach so that we can bring people to explore so they can connect and grow and serve and then reach and explore. And the circle, the life journey just goes around and around. We as a church actually, uh, we're called Grand Prairie Alliance Church, but our long name is Christian and Missionary Alliance. Now, the route to that is A.B. Simpson, a Canadian in New York City, started this movement and he began to do uh, deeper life teaching, uh, basically trying to help people to grow in their faith. And he also started a mission movement, and over the years they joined the two together. And so the word Christian and missionary alliance, Christian doesn't mean that we're just a Christian church, it actually means we're a deeper life church, and we're gonna be a missionary church. This is all about us reaching out to the lost. This is who we've been from the beginning as a denomination. And I can tell you it's really easy as a church and a denomination to become very self-centered and self-cerning in our budgets, in what we do and how we do it. I read a National Post article. It uh, goes way back from 2012. It's hard to get some updated information, especially for free in the time I had. The article started with these words. Just listen. I'm not going to bore you with the whole long thing, but listen to these words. Organized religion is on the decline. A growing number of Canadians 
are spiritual but not religious. Are you aware that's the cycle that's happening? A new forum research poll shows two-thirds of Canadians are spiritual while just half say they are religious. And a quarter of those who profess no religion still expressly believe in God. This is kind of just the, the change and the transformation that's in our society. I don't know if you're aware of it, but atheism is actually declining. I mean, just watch the TV shows. It's about demons and spells and witchcraft and spirituality. We have a very spiritual culture. But the church is on the decline. And I think many of us have bought into the lie that nobody wants to hear anymore because we've run into that person who says, I hate you, don't you ever share with me, and you're an idiot, and you're stupid. So we just go, nope, nobody wants to hear about Jesus anymore. Here's the final thoughts of this article. I have a sense of calm, the writer wrote, in feeling that the divine, the spirit of God and the ministry of Jesus Christ will continue. But we have to find ways to reach out to the wider community, knowing there really is a spiritual hunger in the world. I want you to camp on that thought, friends. There is a spiritual hunger in Grand Prairie. And we are the youngest city in Canada, age-wise. And even those, those really young people that may not like anything about the church, they are spiritual, and they have a spiritual hunger. And your journey going right back to what the truth is. Your journey, last Sunday we saw it. Michael showed three testimonies of people. And I have argued for years that a testimony is worth a thousand sermons. And that's why I asked you, is God doing anything in your life today? Have you just kind of arrived in your own head? Are you growing in your faith at all? As a church, we, we do support the freedom of thought and belief in our country. And yes, as the schools open up to this, that, and the other thing, uh, we can, we're a Christian nation, we can think, what, what is going on here? But if we shut them down, it basically closes the door for us. And I believe Christianity, when lined up with every other thing in the world, will win hands down. Christianity is very personal. God is very loving. He's very transformational. He wants to work in you. He wants to carry on in you what he started to the end. So let me ask you a question, and I have three questions this morning. Question number one, thinking about this whole idea about should we as a church be going out and telling this spiritually hungry world about Jesus, question number one is should we evangelize? Should we evangelize? To answer that, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And this is a story, it falls upon, if you, as a Christian, if you've been in church a while, you've heard the story of the talents. Now that's where a master gave his uh, slaves or his, his company, different people, money to, to go out and invest while he was away, and one of them hit it in the ground, and one of them multiplied it by two, and one multiplied by ten. And, and basically Jesus saying, now come on. God has given you so much. What are you going to do about it for the kingdom? And then this story follows up that after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, some of you have probably heard of that, 
he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. I mean, this is, as we read on, is an incredible story of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. This is just the week before he dies, before he's hung on the cross. Verse 32, those who were sent ahead went and found it, (coughs) just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. So this is like a a ceremonious, uh, here comes the king kind of thing happening. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the ground. They didn't even want the donkey to get dirty. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen in Jesus. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now some of the Pharisees, and I could say some of the news media in the crowd, said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, I want you to hear this. If they keep quiet, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Are you hearing this? I mean, this is a story followed up right after the talents, what God gives you, what are you using it for? This comes right on the tail of what is the truth And we're reading the scriptures and hearing the truth. And I ask the question, should we be evangelizing? And I think the answer is getting pretty obvious. Over the years, I personally, now this is a bit of a personal thing, really personal. I personally have found that when I am experiencing Jesus in really significant ways, I am much more evangelistic. When God is working in my heart, when I'm having transformation happening, when I'm seeing miracles, uh, prayers being answered miraculously, when, when I'm seeing lives being changed, man, I get more excited about my faith. During my bike crash a few years ago, my sister-in-law sent me some ointment. It's funny, somebody at first service came up and asked me what it was. Uh, I am not a bandwagon person. I, I don't like to, you know, here, here's this uh, smelling salt or whatever. It's going to change your life. Take care of your cancer. It's going to be just incredible. Uh, but she sent me this stuff, a blue stuff in a tube. And, and I remember, oh, my shoulder hurts so bad. And I thought, well, you know, I might as well try anything. So I took some of this ointment out. And it was like, wow. It was like gold to me. It was $45 a tube. But I would have spent $500 for what it did for my shoulder. And I'm not even going to tell you what it is because it doesn't matter. And I don't know what they put in it. I'm kind of suspicious of that. But man, did it ever make me feel. I remember I had some rub A535 in the cupboard. I thought, oh, it's probably this. It wasn't even close to this stuff. 
I, want, I tell you the story because, man, I became such a, a promoter of this stuff. Anybody comes to me with aches or pain, oh, my neck is so sore, my daughter was down. I said, you gotta go to the sister-in-law, your aunt, and go buy some of this. I said, I'll pay for it, because I was one that was changed. Has Jesus been doing anything in your life lately? Maybe you don't have a testimony. Maybe you're afraid to tell others because nothing's been going on. I mean, your stories are 30 years old. Let me ask you a second question. Who does God want to become followers of Jesus? Who does God want to become followers of Jesus? I hope you know your theology everyone right and I would argue those that seem the farthest away and are the most belligerent are sometimes the ones that are the closest to coming to faith because at the very last day when your soul is fighting its last breath trying to be selfish and, and hang on it's that time that we put up a great fight we feel the spirit calling and the spirit drawing and I just just be careful not to judge people by race or color or attitude because Jesus wants to save everyone. We are all created in his image. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says it this way, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, some understand slowness and in other words, we know that Jesus is going to return. Instead, he is patient with you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Not wanting anyone to perish. Did you hear that? Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I started off by saying there's a spiritual hunger in Grand Prairie. And I am really convinced that a lot of us don't share about Jesus because Jesus hasn't been doing a whole lot in your life lately. Acts 1.8, oh. This is some of the final words of Jesus ever recorded. And I want you to hear it really closely. And Jesus says, but you, me, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What do you think that power is for? Oh, it's to make me have feel-good, fuzzy, warm, uh, maybe, not likely. Context, listen, the truth. And you will be my witnesses. Oh, by the way, this is more than just the mouth. This is your life, transformed life. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Honestly, many of us have no power because we haven't been experiencing Jesus lately. And we're not sharing or telling other people about Jesus because... There's not a lot going on in our own life. Oh, I love being around new Christians. <laughs> They've experienced the power. Oh, yesterday I was doing a premarital counseling with a couple, and I was just showing them around the building, and Alpha had their Holy Spirit weekend. It was going on, and I opened up the door, and there was about 50 people in there, and there was a buzz going on. I could sense it, and I was told this morning, seven people at least prayed to receive Jesus yesterday. Go ahead and clap. I love being around new Christians because they have just experienced something incredible, the forgiveness of their sins, the transformation of their souls. Very few of them 
especially in the early days or weeks, will deny that. Oh, Satan loves to rob and steal, and he does. But let me ask you, are you experiencing God? Here's the final question. And I realized when I was going over this last night, the wording's horrible, so I'll try to explain it. Is evangelism that we do a response to seekers asking? So do we just sit in the church and wait? for them to show up? Do we just sit in our houses and wait for them to come? Do we, our coworkers, do we just wait until they ask a question? Or are we to be a little more proactive? I'll get you there, don't worry. In other words, do we sit back and wait for God to draw them and bring them, or should we go out looking? And I think there's a really good answer. And this is a, a verse, we call it the Great Commission verse, and so if you know where it is, Matthew 28, starting at verse 18, and uh, these words were just some words just before that Acts 1-8 verse I read you, and listen really carefully, Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority and in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now think about that kind of authority. What did heaven and earth do? What did God, he created all this. There's a lot of power there. All that authority has been given to Jesus. So, verse 19, he starts off with the word, and he says, therefore, if you're feeling a little sheepish and shy and scared and intimidated, you got the power of heaven behind you. Therefore, listen to this, this isn't passive, this isn't waiting, this isn't sitting in our houses cowering in fear, but it says, go and make disciples of not just your neighbors, but of all nations baptizing them, in other words, including them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Listen to this. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Get some courage, people. So I thought preaching on a sermon like reaching, how are we doing as a church? So I did a little bit of digging last week. You may or may not know that because we want to be a reaching church, we do two big outreach events a year. And we do one June, Father's Day, and uh, we already have, Lauren, Sch Lauren Schultz is already planning and starting to meet with people. Uh, we have three to 5,000 people show up on our property. That's incredible. We also do a Christmas Eve service now. We've always done, we, it used to be just we'd have a few staff would throw together some things that we'd all have Christmas Eve. And then we said to ourselves a few years ago, why don't we go big? Because everybody's kind of open at Christmas. So uh, we appealed to you guys and we said, are you willing to give up a little bit of your holiday festivities and fun and family and just spend a few days proclaiming Jesus to the community? <coughs> Between these two events, we have 5,000 plus non-church people showing up on our property. I looked at our statistics. Last year, we had 87 first-time commitments, and we're on track this year for that, might beat that. I always pray that we would have at least 10% of our Sunday morning attendance, and we've been achieving that or a little bit more. I think we could do 20% new believers. I think if we go there, but I can't do it, by the way. The sheep got to go out there and do it. And I'm going to get there how you can do it. Uh, I was looking at our faith in deed ministry. Uh, we gave away $60,000 last year. Now, this is at the command where Jesus said, give people a cup of cold water in my name. And so we are convinced we're going to help our community and love them. Some of that helps out people in the church. But we help out people in the community. $60,000. Annette Weeb, 
her salary on top of that, and her whole team, they're doing an incredible job. And some people are in the faith, in the kingdom because of that. We run about two Alpha courses in a year. Uh, an Alpha, bottom line, is a straight-up course to help people exploring faith. And we average about 30 or 40 pe people each class. And as I said yesterday, we had about seven people receive Jesus. Our Sunday school, our women's ministry, our men's ministry, uh, our junior high, senior high, each one of our ministries does at least a couple of outreaches themselves a year so that the people invite. I went to a seminar, Billy Graham School of Evangelism, who 30 years ago now, and they stated that churches that don't intentionally bring up evangelism, that's why we do the roses. Oh, there's none there. You, hey, we'll have some next Sunday, those seven people. If churches don't intentionally plan and bring up evangelism, they stop doing it. So we're going to keep doing it. It's important to us. You may or may not know we intentionally rent out our building just to let you know we don't really make money off it. By the time we pay staff lights, wear and tear, we probably break even. But last year, we had about 10,000 people come through our building through funerals, school rentals, boys choir, about 10,000 people. And, and one of the reasons why, and you are going, why did you buy all those big expensive TVs? You know the directional signs we just put in? We haven't got there yet, but our plan is we're going to have the directional signs and we're just going to have it programmed in there that it'll pop up advertising for our church and our different ministries. Uh, we haven't got there yet, but we do all that. We spend that money because we want people to come to Jesus. We want them to come to the church. How are we doing for missions or, or all nations work, uh, reaching to the ends of the earth? Right now we have agreements with four missionaries. We also have a global advance fund and the alliance we give to. Uh, between Faith and Deed, our helps ministry, and missions, last year we gave $385,000 to those ministries. That thrills me. That is well over 10% of all of our income, building and otherwise that we want to say that this is an important thing to us. Hopefully, if that organization that I can't remember the name of ever examines us, they'll go, okay, you're not doing too bad. But let me ask you the question, could we do better? Do you, are you aware, This Ruth told me this this week, we have 10 people looking to go full-time in missions right now. That's uh, some family members included in that. 10 people. Uh, we're gonna have to get our hearts even a little bit better and more excited. In fact, we're going to have to grow this church a little more to support those 10 people. So again, I say, can we do better? Oh, yeah, we can. I think we can do a lot better. So let me kind of wrap this all up with a little bit of my own personal story. Now, I told you about the ointment, and if you want to know what it is, you can come and ask me. But this is even incredible, way more incredible. This is about Jesus. I've told you a few stories of what God's been doing in my life lately, but I got to experience something new just two weeks ago. So six months ago in my church renewal mentoring, there was one lesson where they asked you, uh, they said, uh, God wants to develop your character. And as I read the lesson, I thought, you know, I've kind of become complacent or I've just said, okay, I'm, I am who I am. And so I asked God, as the lesson said, I asked God, what are some character things I need to work on? I want to bring up two. The third one, it's still in process, still working on it. But the two things that came up to me was I had claustrophobia and a fear of flying. 
So, and with the third one, uh, I made an appointment with Mel Sigoko at Rising Above. And by the way, Mel Sigoko would love to meet with anybody. It'll cost you a little bit. But uh, Mel would love to meet anybody. So I sat down with Mel, and uh, he began to work me through the processes. And uh, part of that was, and there was even a few other things we worked on, but uh, with the claustrophobia, we asked God, we prayed and asked God, where does the root of this as a kid, I knew I didn't have claustrophobia. And it should have been obvious to me, but when I figured out what the root to it was, it actually healed my fear of flying, to, flying too. So what happened was I began to realize that when I was in the plane crash, they put me in a stretcher and they put the straps on me so I wouldn't fall out. Then they stuck me in a helicopter on top of the seats diagonally from the back to the front. And my head was up in the front and I was right up against the roof of the helicopter like the soft fuzzy part or leather part, whatever that is, so, and I'm strapped in, and I'm really hurting, and I'm bleeding, and they strap me in this helicopter, and then I get to fly, and I just crashed. Ooh, that set up some stuff in my soul that was unbelievable. It gave me claustrophobia, it gave me a fear of flying. So I worked through it all, and I asked Jesus, Mel worked this through with me, I asked Jesus, where were you when that happened? And God gave me this beautiful image of Jesus' hands on my head, holding my head, as the helicopter took off. I mean, yeah, how does it physically, I don't know how it works. It was, it kind of touched me, it, it was incredible. And I hadn't done anything for six months to figure out whether anything significant had changed my heart. Now, don't overthink this, because this, this is one of those easy ones that was easy to get out of my soul. We're flying to Florida two weeks ago. As we're coming in the approach to Orlando, my wife looks at me and says, wow. And I said, what? She goes, you realize you've had no fear of flying and you're not claustrophobic. Now, I used to, we got stuck near the back of the plane, jammed up against the window, had a great, no, it was a little lady beside me on the way back. It was a great big guy, bigger than me. But I had no fear. And usually days, like two or three days before I flew, I'd be so uptight, I'd be anxious, I wouldn't sleep, I slept and we got up and we went. And my wife said, this is so, and on the way home, landing in Grand Prairie, it was really windy that day. We touched down and just as the wheels touched, a gust of wind blew us up in the air and the pilot put the engines on full. You know what I did? Nothing. I just kept talking to my wife. People around me were screaming and crying, and one person must have known I was a pastor, tapped me on the shoulder, thank you for praying, because we eventually landed. I had no fear. It was cool. So knowing this transformation that had happened in my heart, I think I've shared with at least three or four non-Christians what Jesus is doing in my life right now. Uh, the guy from Orlando, he, he, he talked nonstop, but you don't, you've met Anthony. I can talk now. He was no challenge for me. I couldn't wait. I told him about what Jesus is doing here, how he took away my claustrophobia and my fear. And this guy shared about how he just had gotten claustrophobia too. And, and I said to him, why don't you ask Jesus? He, he kind of was a Christian, he said. I said, why don't you ask Jesus where the root to it is? He goes, oh, I already know what the root is. And I said, why don't you ask Jesus where he was in that? I, you know, I, I'm like the guy with that ointment now. I, I can't wait to tell people what Jesus, you see where I'm going? What is Jesus doing in your life? We're gonna end with the verse that says it all, Philippians 1.6. You are hopefully painfully where God started a work in you and he wants to carry it on to completion. And maybe you've become complacent and you're happy and content where you're at or you've just resigned yourself. 
God wants you to grow more like Jesus. Oh, one of my elders three weeks ago said, Anthony, we've noticed some changes in you. I think they kind of had put up with some of my personality traits, but they're actually starting to notice some Jesus is at work. Oh, don't get me wrong, I'm still got problems. I had a neighbor come over to me and she was so mad because our dog was barking and I got all defensive. And so my personality, I still have some stuff. I didn't yell at her, don't worry, but she wasn't happy with me and my doggy. This is just not, this isn't just nice ointment. This is a, experiencing Jesus. And if you're struggling with sharing Jesus, if you're wondering about all the stuff we as a church do, I just want to say, <laughs> get on your knees and say, Jesus, I, I, I need some work in my life. So in conclusion, I, I want to tell you that the elders board of this church, the staff, myself, we are committed to being a reaching church. But there's a problem, and this is point number two. <laughs> are you committed to being reaching Christians? And I think I have a great help for you today. And this question number three at the end, do you need to experience him today afresh? Do you need some new work? I, I mean, we, have, uh, we had set free recently, and I can tell you the people that went are just changed. They experienced it. We have soul care coming, care coming up in April. Oh, soul care is so good at unveiling or revealing the lies that we've bought into. You know, with the hurts we have, the pain we have, the unforgiveness we have, the whatever it is, it's so good. I just want to encourage you to do that. But do you need to experience him today? We always have an altar call. We always have people up here to pray. We have sections that you're sitting in, and I'm going to ask the section leaders to identify themselves because they can pray for you too. Maybe you're here today and you've never actually prayed to receive Jesus. And you're going, what's this thing about Alpha? And they pray. You just have to say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe in you, Jesus. You sit there. If you'd have told me 10 years ago, all I needed was a vision of Jesus holding my head in the helicopter and it would change me, I'd go, are you crazy? I've got embedded lies and I've got pathways and I would overcomplicate it. If you would have told me it was that simple, I'd have done it right then. I'm just telling you it's that simple. Jesus wants to work in your life. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, We have spoken about truth today from your word. And so many of us are bound up in self-deception, lies. Satan has been able to literally handicap us in this whole idea of sharing with others about Jesus. And a lot of us don't share about Jesus because we're so broken ourselves. We're so full of pain and bitterness and anger and we have not experienced the truth that sets us free in a long time. Oh, Jesus, speak to the soul of the people here today. Let them know, let it resonate with them that you, the loving God, with all the power, want to work to completion in the souls of each and every one of us. You want to give us a, a, a common, a new story, uh, not just when we 
weren't Christians or when we prayed to receive Christ, but you want to be able to say, right today, this is what Jesus is doing in my life. Come, Holy Spirit, and do that. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.